It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Happy President's Day. I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show and our 13th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. 13 years, is that all? 13. (laughs) All right. Good evening, folks, and I'm Jim Sims. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear from the chair of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, Representative Cherish Pryor on relevant issues in the Indiana State Legislature, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, at the recent State of the City address, flyers were passed out as guests entered the Buskirk Chumley Theater. The flyers read in part, just say no to militarized policing. The city of Bloomington is in the process of purchasing an armored assault vehicle. These vehicles are designed for use against peaceful protesters and were deployed in Ferguson, Missouri, and at Standing Rock. Tell John Hamilton that Bloomington rejects militarized policing. And also during the mayor's planned address, Vox Booker and Stephen Dora used a megaphone to protest the recent, recent purchase of an armored truck by the Bloomington Police Department. The protest took place during last Thursday's State of the City address and led to the early adjournment of the special session. Mr. Vox Booker organized the Facebook event called At Black Lives Matter Disrupts the State. After a meeting Tuesday where the Bloomington Police Department addressed the purchase of the vehicle. Booker said there were about... (coughs) Sorry. Vox... Okay. We'll get back to that. Thank you. Just a second. Booker said there were about about 70 people in the audience who were there for his cause. He said they would have marched and made signs, but they didn't think it would be as effective. You have to create discomfort in another way, he said. We have invited Black Lives Matter organizer Vox Booker, Bloomington Police Chief Mike Decoff, and bringing on contributor Cornelius Wright to come on this evening to engage in a civil discourse on the merits and concerns regarding the purchase of the Bloomington Police Department's armored vehicle. Now, the bio we have for Mr. Vox Booker this evening is he is a homegrown community activist whose family has resided in the southern Indiana region for more than five generations, or I'm sorry, five generations. Since moving to Bloomington in 2012, Mr. Booker has worked in our community advocating for people experiencing homelessness, mental illness, and addictions. He is a staunch promoter of utilizing best practices to create optimal outcomes. And with that, Fox Booker and Police Chief Mike Decoff, welcome to Bring It On. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate you guys. So, thank you. Chief Decoff, we want to start with you. Um, since the uh, armored vehicle is the subject of all this controversy, can you go ahead and tell us uh, what this vehicle, exactly what it is, and what is the intended purpose or so, use? Sure. So let's let's go back um, many years and uh, and. 2000, uh, we started looking, uh, we we had an incident on the south side of town where um, our critical incident response team um, responded and 
um, were fired at um, in the process of trying to check on the welfare of a, a, a woman who uh, we later found out had been um, shot by her ex-husband. Um, during that time period, when we were down on that call, we um, took several shots. Um, I, was, I was actually on that call. Um, we took several shots that were fired at us from the end of the street. Uh, we reached out to other law enforcement agencies to try to get uh, an armored vehicle to come in so we could approach to find out what was going on with the person at the end of the street. Uh, it took close to two hours to get a response from the Indianapolis Police Department. They drove one down to assist us. Um, so after that incident, we started uh, looking at ways that we could uh, safely protect our, our uh, critical incident response team. And we found a used Brinks truck that had about 300,000 miles on it. We, we, um, we uh, purchased that vehicle and had it repainted, had it patched up because it was, it was in kind of rough shape. So we used um, uh, Bloomington North High School has a, a shop. Uh, class that they worked on it. We had that vehicle for 12 years. Um, in, in 2012, we retired that vehicle. It was just, um, it was wore out and it just wasn't mechanically sound anymore. So since that time, we've, we've uh, looked at other options. We've looked at the military surplus program, which we decided against because we knew that what we would get would be a, uh, a used MRAP, which is um, a a military vehicle that's that's been used um, in 20 late 2015 2016 the the uh, public safety lit uh, was passed which is a local option income tax uh, that money is is earmarked for public safety and so we uh, we looked at that money as a, a possible funding source and that was that's what we decided to go with and so um, so for two years there's been discussions about this and we moved forward with um, a company called Linco they are a, a, a commercial um, company that builds uh, armored vehicles for law enforcement mostly um, and that's that's how we got to where we are well with that thank you I'm taking notes here I'm so sorry and we heard from uh, Police Chief Mike Dekoff, and we'll just go over here to Vox and Vox, and you heard that, and um, uh, and, and I think from your position, um, just just tell us where you're at right now. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, Chief Dekoff, thank you for being here. I appreciate that. Uh, I noticed you said that Linco mostly makes law enforcement vehicles. They also make some military assault vehicles. If you were to look at those military assault vehicles, you would find very little difference between that platform to which the city is utilizing. Also, if you were to look at their advertisements, you would be dismayed. It's, uh, it's very much bravado. There's thunderstruck background music playing. Um, we know that all United States government has uh, equipped uh, Syrian rebels with these vehicles to go against the government. Um, for all intents and purposes, to me, it's a military vehicle. Uh, we all care about police safety, community safety, uh, you know, all of us. But there are some checks and balances that we have to have in that. First of all, there is only so much security that is worth sacrificing liberty for. And secondly, you know, this is a college community, and we are fortunate to have so many experts and so many brilliant minds that we can appeal to. So when we do something, we should know that we are going to need the empirical data to back up that decision. 
So I was a bit dismayed when uh, the city held its form that that data hadn't been secured. We hadn't looked at the actual outcomes. You know, we have social scientists that make their entire careers uh, out of studying the data and making the best decision. So you're going to hear me come back to this several times. But when you study the data, and there was a recent study done in 2017 that was backed by the uh, Carnegie Institute at uh, Florida State University, uh, Arizona, and it found that there is, is a negative correlation between community and police safety when you bring in these vehicles. And the study primarily focused on these military MRAP vehicles that the chief is talking about, but it also included military-style assault vehicles. And we saw that when we brought these vehicles into communities, not only did it endanger the citizens, it also made police officers less safe. Fox, I had one question. What type of communities were those vehicles brought into? Was there any a background on that? Mm -hmm. So what they actually did, they looked at three states, uh, and they broke it down county by county. And they, they looked at three different factors. I'll tell you the factors there. Uh, it was... Okay, so the variables that they tried to capture were the number of civilian casualties, the uh, change in the number of civilian casualties, and they saw a statistically significant relationship between receiving military-style equipment and fatalities from officer-involved shootings. So some of these counties that had never had officer-involved shootings before, suddenly there was, you know, a shooting here. So it's easy to justify, um, you know, one incident or, or two, but when you look at multiple states and multiple counties and you see the same pattern, it's concerning. Okay, so <clears throat> just after listening to what the chief said and listening to your response, this is the third such vehicle that the city has owned since 2012. Is that, uh, this will be the third? No, this will be the second. The second, okay, since 2012? Since 2000. Since 2000. So if the city has had this type of vehicle uh, in their possession so far, then why now? So I think it, we go back to the semantics. When we say vehicle, the city, as it, the chief uh, mentioned, had a Brinks vehicle. We see them all the time. They're rather innocuous in our, in, in our society. You know, if you see somebody delivering to a bank or an ATM machine, you barely bat an eye. This vehicle is different in that it has a different look, a different feel, and requires different training. Yeah, talking to Mike. And requires different training. I mean, if, and, and if the chief disagrees, I, I'm more than willing to hear him out. Well, what I would say before we do any of that, um, we can discuss that with us. And I mean, I don't want this back and forth. I'm oh, sorry. No. Oh, no, just, just for the protocol of the radio station. Absolutely. Um, and the chief can answer at any point in time. So, but just kind of go this way if I can. Um, and those are very, very good points. Um, what I would ask. And 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 I think from your studies, those are good good points. Um, you know, I'm a trust but verify type guy, so I, I look forward to reading sort of that that sort of thing that you have. Um, but what what I like to ask you: What type of vehicle, or based on this conversation, would a Brinks armored vehicle be acceptable from your position uh, as a as a vehicle to protect our our um, public safety officers? Absolutely, it would. Something that uh, didn't inherently itself, uh, wasn't inherently itself created for a violent purpose. It's the type of vehicle that a community like ours should explore. 
Okay, and I would agree with that. And um, if I throw the argument out there is that um, I understand the, that vehicle, I understand the perception, I understand its uses potentially if it's outfitted. Um, but if it's not outfitted, is, is it just the look of the vehicle that, that we're opposed? If it's not outfitted um, for militarized um, activity. And I believe the chief has some pictures of the vehicle that he brought with him to, to kind of share. Well, I, th I think we all yeah know those. Okay. Um, but to me, it's the, the view and how it looks. Um, I, I, and maybe, and I don't want to speak for Mr. Well, and again, that, that's kind of where I was going because he was talking about repainting it white, which made it look a whole different tenure than the militarized vehicle that it was. So, I mean, would that be something that might tone it down a little bit that would be acceptable to you and others in the group? I, I mean, I, I hear you, and I, I appreciate that that willingness for uh, compromise and, and understanding our concern, but it really still goes back to the nature of the vehicle. Uh, the Obama administration um, talked about a royal mentality developing in uh, local police departments, and the theory being that when you receive these type of military uh, vehicles, that it changes the, the cultural in multiple, in multiple uh, dimensions. So you, you look at the material, cultural shifts, organizational shifts, operational shifts, shifts uh, any type of special training. So suddenly there's, there's a language shift, you know, from where we're just doing like a, a, the normal Brinks vehicle that almost anyone could drive to this vehicle that uh, has higher capabilities. You know, th we're going to speak about it differently. Um. <clears throat> Chief Dekoff, this is uh, somewhat of a sensitive subject for the black community because those images of Ferguson, Missouri are kind of burned in our minds. Instead of police uniforms and riot equipment, police were dressed in full combat gear with automatic weapons trained on unarmed black people and driving heavily fortified armored vehicles. So based on that, can you understand Mr. Booker's concerns? Oh, most certainly. I, I understand all the concerns that have been expressed to me over over this. Um, you know, I, when, when Ferguson was happening, I watched on television that unfold, and, and, and even speaking with, with many of my colleagues around the state, um, we were just dismayed the way that the, the police there handled that situation. Um, that is something that um, we never would do here in Bloomington. Um, the, the 12 years that we had uh, the previous um, uh, vehicle, we never used it in any type of protest situation. We have policies in place that prohibit that. We have um, a, a matrix that has to be gone through before um, anything, I, 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 any kind of critical um, response that we might make, there's a matrix that has to be um, gone through to make sure it rises to the level that it's approved. There's, there's multiple layers that it has to go through for an approval process. Um, and so um, I, I, am, I am certainly um, cognizant of the fact that um, it, it, it invokes a lot of, of, uh, of bad things. And so, um, but again, I think we have a track record here in Bloomington that our department does that we've never used it in, in, in any way on protest. We have, we have policies, we have matrices in place. And in fact, um, a recent report that the um, ACLU did in 2014 on the militarization of police, they make um, at the end of that report, they make uh, recommendations for the federal government, for state government, and for local government. And we meet all of those recommendations. We do all of the things that they recommend that police departments do um, if, in regards to uh, response teams like this. Let's, uh, <clears throat> if I may, let's talk about training. 
Um, I think Mr. Booker brought up the aspect of training. Sure. Um, what is the plans and, and how has that been vetted? Um, with the FTOs or whoever so, does so the, there, the, I, I think the CERT trainers, the, I think. I think there's some misconceptions about this vehicle. First, it's not a military vehicle. Military vehicles require certain training because they're built on a completely different platform than civilian vehicles. This really is a, a uh, Ford F550 frame and, and body. The city has several of those vehicles already in its, in its, fl its fleet. Um, so there's, there's very little training as far as driving this. Um, the training would be um, that the officers become familiar with the doors, how to how to how they're going to respond to situations and things like that. Um, there's there's no special training that is needed um, to to drive or operate this vehicle. Okay, um, and I think a big part of it um, <coughs> is 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 outfitting. Yes, um, and I think um, we've talked a little bit, and anyone that I've really talked about or talk to about this, one of my main concerns is that it is not outfitted up to anywhere near military capabilities. That is and correct. And it's my understanding that this will not have, and, and I just want to make sure for everyone that, that know me out here, well, this is not a support or non-support. Sure. Um, I'm just doing what I can. Just the facts, um, ma'am. But, but yeah, just the <laughs> facts. Um, but the fact is, is that this vehicle, and I know it looks imposing and has some things, some very valid points that Mr. Booker has brought up. But the fact is, is that it is not equipped or outfitted for militaristic activity and behavior. Exactly. L like the ones we saw in Ferguson and Standing Rock and other places. And correct, correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, this is, this is the vehicle that was used yeah, no, in Ferguson. That one is, but yeah. I think that is a, a picture of it. I'm not so mm -hmm. sure. That picture there is, is, what the, we're, is the, uh, the vehicle that the Carmel Police Department has. Yeah. I mean, equipped with a battering ram. <laughs> it looks like it has the uh, yeah the, the tools. For yeah, that. yeah, it's got the battering ram that can not only knock down a door. It has the option that you can put a piercing point on it that injects tear gas into the building as well. So we can okay. say that right now that we're not outfitting this vehicle. But let's say let's let's follow my worst case scenario. Let's say that you know this this vehicle comes <coughs> about. We suddenly find that hey, we have this great tool, so we're more apt to use it. We see more violence as a result. So. We say, okay, these guys are getting closer to our capability, so maybe it's time for us to enhance this vehicle. You know, chief Decoff has maybe the best intentions, but he will not be chief forever. This vehicle has a lifespan of 20 years, and in 20 years, a community can change drastically. I, I want to point out that uh, uh, Mr. Booker brought up the, um, the RAM on the vehicle. It was recently used, I believe it was in Oklahoma, where there was a, uh, a person that was... Um, in their in their house, they were firing at um, people from their house. The police used the uh, the ram mounted on the front of their vehicle to breach the door, and they inserted um, gas in there and brought the the uh, shooter out safely, and no one was hurt. Um, the ram was successfully used in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub shooting, where they breached a wall so that they could get tactical team members inside the building. Um, to to stop the threat, so there are there are some valid uses for that. Um, I can understand Mr. Booker's and everybody's concerns that it could be used inappropriately. But again, um, I go back to we have policies in place. Um, you know, police departments are are big on policies. Um, we have policies and we'll follow those policies. Um, you know, we're in the process of going through. 
of an, a national accreditation process that is big on policies that have been vetted by um, public safety professionals around the country. Less than 5% of the, the police departments in the U.S. are accredited. Um, I think in Indiana, there are roughly 15. Um, we're, we're due to get that accreditation this year. Um, uh, Mr. Booker mentioned the 21st Century Policing Report. We have instituted every um, recommendation in that report but two. Um, and one has to do with a contract, and the other is tasers. We don't have tasers. Hey, I, one of the things that I was thinking about when, that Mr. Booker brought up was a very good point. But I wanted to ask you, Chief, the safety of the police officers, which we all agree is paramount, and we had the truck before the Brinks truck. Um, how is is how is this, and in what way is it safer, if it is at all, than a Brinks truck? What would be the the, ba the basic sure. difference of the two vehicles? So, so Brinks trucks, um, for, uh, to my knowledge, are not designed to take high-powered rifles. Um, a high-powered rifle could penetrate a Brinks truck. These vehicles are built to um, stop high-powered rifle rounds, which. Um, uh, so that's that's one difference. Um, these are actually built for tactical teams, so the doors on them are different so that you can get in and out quicker where Brinks trucks aren't built the same way. Um, they offer they certainly offer more protection than we currently have, but not to the to the standard that um, this vehicle, which is built for that purpose. Could it be converted to be more police friendly uh, a Brinks truck at a obviously with cost savings involved? would it, would it be cost? effective to try to do something like that i don't i don't know that, that i don't know um vox i have a question for you and then uh and then i want to pivot to the chief do you have can you point to any examples or any history of the uh bloomington police department's conduct that would give you reason to to distrust or, or not trust how they would deploy this vehicle well you know I'm so happy you asked so I would come to today <laughs> where we had uh, some african-american children uh, post some threatening videos online social media of them with some BB guns so we take this incident uh, where it w became apparent that these weren't actual weapons we turned this into uh, getting a search warrant we turned this into a whole family being arrested and when we talk about training, one of the big things that I'm always going to expect from any de police department is having conflict de-escalation skills. Uh, Bloomington has been trained uh, in conflict de-escalation skills, but I don't think sufficiently. Uh, some folks might argue. I, w I would say that, uh, you know, they did a lot of that with Centerstone. I worked for Centerstone. Uh, I worked for the team that did that on Centerstone after that had already been done. So I understand a lot of the de-escalation training that they've had. I think what we're missing is that, for one thing, a, a Blink's truck can stop a high-powered rifle round. I, I have people Facebooking me live that, that are screaming that, it, that, that that's an accurate thing. I'm not sure, uh, but I'm inclined to believe the seven people that just told me that they, they Googled it and said it could. Um, I want us to look at not only armored vehicles, but I want us to look at the data and find out what is the best thing that we can do for this community to increase safety. Now, maybe that's a normal truck. Maybe it's prevention. A lot of these incidents that the uh, Chief has mentioned that this vehicle has been needed in the past for domestic violence issues where the uh, perpetrator had had multiple interactions with the police and that the police had been trained uh, sufficiently to have stopped that 
quicker in the process, a lot of these incidents wouldn't have happened. Okay, and if I may jump in here just for a second, um, for the benefit of our listeners, we have with us this evening um, Black Lives Matter organizer, Mr. Vox Booker, and Bloomington Police Chief Mike Decoff, and Bring It On's own, Bring It On's own, how that, say that real quick, our contributor, Mr. Cornelius Wright, is who we're having um, discussions with this evening. Um, do you have anything else? With I you? do. Um, <coughs> Chief Decoff. Is there are there any provisions in place that would allow community members to have a, a voice in, in the policy or how this vehicle is deployed? Well, certainly. I, I mean, our, our policy is based on uh, model policies um, from around the country. Um, the, uh, uh, the the matrix that we have in place, those that's not something we made up. We, we got those from uh, they were models that other agencies had used and and um, and, and we looked at all those, and we're, we're certainly willing to sit down and have discussions about our policies. Um, that, that's something that, um, uh, you know, the, the, those guide our actions, and that's certainly something that the public can weigh in on. And, and um, you know, we've not really ever done that before because there's not really been questions about that, but that we can certainly do that. And I think that's something that the Board of Safety um, is, is contemplating doing at their next meeting, which um, I think they announced today it's going to be next Tuesday. Um, to discuss this. I don't know that a time has been set yet, but but the Board of Safety oversees uh, police and fire, and so they certainly weigh in on, on policies and things like that, and that's that's would be a, a, a good place to do that. Okay. Vox, I guess with all of this talk, is there anything besides getting rid of the vehicle that you would like to see done at this point? I think that... I've been kind of alarmed by the lack of research that was done before we got this vehicle. So now it makes me want to backtrack and look at other decisions that the police department made and check the appropriateness. Um, I wonder if, they're, if what else they're doing. You know, I don't know if, if they're using high-powered high weapons, explosives. I don't know what's going on with my police department. And I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't take it up earlier, but I definitely will make sure that uh, with this public safety meeting that I will be there to find out the state of things. You know, it, it, to be fair, it really sounds like a lot of your position is based on conjecture and speculation. The reason I say that is because if, if the city has policies in place that govern the conduct on, on on deployment of this vehicle, anything else for that matter. What I hear you saying is that you basically don't trust it. I don't believe it. I don't trust it. So we're going to protest it. That, that's what it sounds like over here. I appreciate you. And, and because there may be other people that feel that same way. It's not that I'm inherently uh, mistrustful of police. And other people might be. Other people have had different experiences. And, and as as the leader, the organizer of uh, Black Lives Matter, I need to, to make sure that I, I look at other marginalized communities that may feel differently than I do. But like we go back to, to, to President Reagan here, it's trust but verify. And, and what I'm going to trust is this empirical research that was done by the experts, some of the leading folks in the nation that says that these vehicles do not make our communities safer. We can we can talk about anecdotal incidents. We can we can talk about how we feel, but the hard data is what, at the end of the day, in this community, we should follow. Can I just follow up <clears throat> on data? 
So I, I, I think I might have seen this, the, uh, the research that Mr. Booker's talking about, and um, I kind of question some of their methodology, but that's for another day. But, um, you know, w one of the things that we have been very open and transparent about is data. Um, we post 14 data sets to the Police Data Initiative, which is um, kind of a spinoff of the 21st Century Policing Report. Um, uh, that was something that um, uh, at one point we posted more data than the other 150-some agencies posted at 14. I don't know if that's still the case, but that's out there if you, if you uh, look at um, PDI. I think it's .org. Um, the city has its own data portal, Be Clear, where we post lots of data on that. Um, to say that we didn't look at, at any kind of research when we were deciding what we were getting, what we were looking at um, purchasing is false. Um, we put um, a lot into it. There are, there's a lot of other companies out there that make these vehicles. Um, some of those we thought were, were too militaristic. We could have gotten um, an MRAP, but that was not something that I thought would be appropriate for our community. Um, I'm very cognizant of how this looks and how the perception, but I also have to say that um, there are police officers out there, not just BPD, but the sheriff's office has people on our tactical team. The university has people on our tactical team that we, we are responding not only in our county, but regionally to threats. Um, it's the, our history, our past will show that we have never used it inappropriately, nor do we intend to use it inappropriately in the future. Um, I think also if you look every other, since we are a college community, I'm very cognizant of that also, every other Big Ten university has access to a, to a vehicle like this except us. Indiana University is the only one that we do not have one of those located in the county. All the other Big Ten universities do. So, again, I understand the perception, but this also... Um, you know, I, I've told some people I liken this to an insurance policy. You know, we, we never know when we're going to need something like this, and I hope that we would never have to use it. But unfortunately, you know, uh, the past indicates that we do. You know, we talked a little bit earlier, and um, you agreed that it could have been done more openly. Yes. And I think that in anything that we do, the lines of communication are always imperative and I would just like to let Vox know that we've had issues with the status of black males in the police department. And one of the things that is, that's, that's come of that is, I know quarterly you come to our meetings, we just sit down and talk whether there's an incident or not. So that might be something, because you've, you've made, made it aware that you'd be willing to go to these different meetings and listen. Might want to set up and just have a meeting to where you can sit down with the police chief uh, in the sessions and deal with some of those issues and get some of those answers that uh, you don't have. You know, Cornelius, I, I think at the State of the City, we talked, and I offered. I said, we can sit down, and I can show you things. I can show you our policies. I can go over all of this stuff with you and, and try to do a better job of explaining. You know, we, we did. We missed the boat on this. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with the mayor earlier today, and we should have done a better job of, of publicizing this and, and letting people know. Um, I, you know, I, I think just I just got – with my schedule busy and, and we just didn't think about it. I, you know, I internally, we've talked to a lot of different people about it. Um, it's been in budget documents, but we, we did, we failed on, um, making sure that the public understood what we were doing. And, and that's, we're, we're trying to make up ground and, and make sure that people understand that now. I appreciate that. Um, uh, it's kind of hard to, to 
when the city is admitting that this wasn't a transparent process, that they didn't publicize it, that um, I think there was some innocuous language that was used, like an owner vehicle that made people think it was going to be another vehicle, like the Blinks truck, and it didn't go in as much attention that maybe it would have otherwise. Uh, it's hard to, to, when you start off with that, that bad footing, it's hard to trust someone's motivations. So for them to say, hey, you know, look at our record, uh, so you should trust us because we haven't done anything bad before. You know, in, in most scenarios in life, that's not always going to fly. You know, we're, we're going to want more more than that. You know, trust is, is building that relationship, and we already established this, got off on bad blood. I do appreciate the chief saying that he'll meet with me, and I will meet with him, and we'll sit down. Uh, I want to make sure that I invite you to Monday. Uh, Black Lives Matter is going to be hosting a filming of Do Not Resist, and we'll follow that with a moderated discussion. Uh, we're going to have a panel of some folks from IU, maybe some other places, and it's going to give uh, the community to engage in this civil discourse that maybe some people thought was lacking from the disruption event of the state of the city. So that's going to be at the Buzzcook Chumley at 7.30 p.m. That's Monday the 26th, 7.30 p.m. We should be out of there by 9.30 uh, I would like to invite the entire community. It's free of charge. Uh, concessions will be open. Let's come in. We can watch this critically acclaimed film, and we can discuss the issues together. Okay, I have a question for you <clears throat> based on what you just said. Now, at the State of the City Address, a lot of us, myself included, were really looking forward to what the mayor had to say. I wanted to hear it. And you prevented that from happening. Now, you're asking people to come out and attend your event next Monday. What if people don't want to hear what you have to say and they come and uh, and disrupt your meeting? Well, you know, this actually isn't – it's my it's the community's event. I, I may be the host, but it's for the community. So was the state of the I city. I agree with you. What, what's the difference You here? find no qualms for me. The, qualm, the, the difference here is that this is going to be an event – where the chief and everyone can speak. At the State of the City was just a event for folks to listen. And they had, had kind of missed the ball on having the, the open spaces where people could have communicated themselves. So a lot of folks were angry. You know, you can say that, that uh, because a lot of folks said, hey, you know, this guy and this other guy disrupted this event. But half the crowd was there because they were upset. You know, we had 70 conformed folks there out of a crowd of maybe 150 people. So I, I get that, and and to talk about tactics, I I hate when people weaponize King uh, against uh, modern protesters today. It, it just does a disservice to his memory. Um, this is what we need to do. This is why we're having community forums. This is why I'm here at this radio station now. This is why the chief is here. This is why the mayor has made comment. So as much as people felt it was distasteful. That was exactly the point. So it would be such a, a significant thing, like we just had Tara Holt write an article about it the other day in the newspaper. It got attention. And that's what we needed to do was get attention for this issue. So um, do you think there's any legitimate use whatsoever for a vehicle like this? If so, then, then what is it? Also, um, do you think police have a right to protect themselves and, and uh, deadly situations like that. And before you answer that, let me say this. Um, we have done several shows with police officers here where we grill them on police conduct and shooting of unarmed uh, uh, black men. You can check my Facebook post and you can see I'm all over the case when 
we see a, a unjustified shooting of, of anyone, really. So, you know, it's not that we're being biased in favor of uh, uh, police here, but we're trying to make sense of your conduct in this whole thing. And it, I t- it, it really just uh, raised my eyebrow when you asked people to come to your event, but you didn't afford us the opportunity to hear the mayor at, at his event. Absolutely. That, that's fair. It's not my event. It's an event for the community because there are all people who are still uh, okay, frustrated. Okay, it's a play on words right now. I get you. I get it's you. It's an and event. It, but I, I have another question that I wanted to go back to. I'd let him answer. All right. I'm sorry. This, this is going to be an event that has moderated, you know, panel. It, it's going to give everyone, uh, the mayor, if he would be so inclined, the city council members, the, the chief, the community, uh, the understanding to, to see, hey, this is what uh, people of color and people in marginalized populations are going through. And this is why there may be some mistrust in, in feelings. And now that we talked about this in a healthy way, we can all engage in the process together. So I would rather have not had to, to, to disrupt the, the state of the city. I just felt like it was what was going to be the necessary tactic to get this type of involvement. And now that we have this involvement, I'm saying, hey, Let's come to the table. We all need to appeal to our better angels. And let's see if we can do what's best for the community. Can I ask a quick question? Well, actually, we got just a couple minutes. And and what I would like to do um, for our listeners, for full disclosure, and those that may not know me out there, I am um, an at-large member of Bloomington City Council. Please understand that my role here tonight is co-host of Bring It On Radio. um, And I'm trying to, to... uh, uh, be as down the middle as possible and not taking one side. Um, I'm sure folks are probably saying, well, Jim probably has some things to say. And there will be a time, I think, um, for my comments. Um, but I think I'm um, listening to Mr. Booker, Police Chief um, Decoff, and at some point soon then we'll hear the mayor. And then I think it'll trickle down to other um, officials such as myself. But we're down toward the end. And then what I'd like to do, and if it's okay with our co host here, we got about two minutes left, so we could take about a minute each and just give us your final thoughts and your questions or anything you want to shoot. So, I, you know, again, I, we didn't do a good job of publicizing this. Um, I, what I really hope people can understand that this is um, – it's, it's not an offensive weapon, but a, it's a defensive weapon. It's meant to protect the officers or who are responding in high-risk situations and, and – to protect the people that they're responding to to help um it is it is you know people are referring to it as a tank it is not a tank it is not a military vehicle it has no weapons on it whatsoever um you know there are there are policies in place um that govern uh the use of our critical incident response team that would be using this vehicle um and there's there's multi layers of approval that have to be uh that have to it has to go through before it's approved so Again, this is just, uh, it's a piece of equipment. It's certainly not a mentality. I said that the other day. Um, um, So thank you. Mr. Booker, about a minute. Thank you. I appreciate the chief sentiments. I think uh, you have to not look at things in a vacuum. When when we talk about policing in America, we have to look at the systematic persecution of people of color. From just the other day, we had a... Jeff Sessions was talking to the Association of Sheriffs and and saying things like we have to remember the Anglo-Saxon history of policing. So when we live in this uncertain political time, we need to be aware of 
the least of these in our community, whether it be black folks, whether it be trans folks, whether it be homeless folks, we need to make sure that our community acts in a way that is best for everyone. And earlier the chief challenged my data and, and this study was so concise that they allowed for that challenge. So I just want to follow up with, uh, they added a dummy variable in this data just to, to, to say, okay, maybe the police are right. Let's add in a variable that shouldn't change uh, no matter the political climate or whatever. So they use dogs. They use the puppy side project. And when they inputted the data in the situations that communities had been militarized, they saw that even dogs were more likely to die. So if you don't care about all these other things, for God's sake, save the puppies. All right. Thank you very, very much. We want to thank Black Lives Matter organizer Vox Booker, Bloomington Police Chief Mike Decoff, and Bring It On contributor Mr. Cornelius Wright for coming in this evening to engage in a civil discourse on the merits and concerns regarding the purchase of the Bloomington Police Department's armored vehicle. And I am personally looking forward to this come to the table together. Yeah. Um, I think as soon as we have common terminology um, and other things that, that many other people in this community um, things like law and order and those sorts of things. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we would like to hear it. Send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, Bring it on at WFHB.org. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you are invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit our news website at WFHB.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Jim Sims. At the top of the hour, we shared that Indiana State Representative and Indiana Black Legislative Caucus member Cherish Pryor would be joining us to discuss current initiatives and progress to date on the attainment of legislative goals for the IBLC. It 
It was the desire to organize and focus the talents and energies of African-American legislators that led to the establishment of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus in 1979. Their voices represent the concerns and hopes of the citizens they serve. Since 1979, the IBLC has generated positive discussions about often difficult subjects on the floor of the Indiana House of Representatives and the Indiana Senate. Joining us by phone is the Honorable Cherish Pryor, chairwoman of the IBLC and proud representative of House of Indiana House District 94. Representative Pryor, welcome to Bring It On. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to, to be on your show. This. All right. Well, we appreciate your patience. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I hope we didn't keep you waiting too long. It's been a while since we spoke to you, I think, uh, last year. Yes, it has been. Uh, we're going to have to do a better job of making sure that we come on and um, stay better connected to the community. Okay, we are on it. Yes, and Clarence Boone, our producer, will make sure he's on it. Um, and for our listeners, and we're just getting started, but we have Miss um, Cherish Pryor, chairwoman of the IBLC and a representative of Indiana House District 94, um, I'm Jim Sims, and this is Mr. William Hosea. And Ms. Pryor, um, we're down to, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 minutes or so. So maybe the best use of time to get started is to just let you throw, yeah. us, throw out some things of importance um, that, that you would like for us to hear. Okay. Um, well, let's uh, first talk about um, the fact that Indiana uh, will not pass a bias crime. Uh, piece of legislation. Um, we had high hopes as the Black Caucus, that being one of our main priorities this year, to have uh, bias crime legislation in the state. Um, and it seems like every year, generally every year you introduce a bill, if you get the hearing, it gets closer to being passed. That has actually been the opposite of bias crimes legislation. One year we got it out of the house, out of the Senate. It didn't get a hearing in the House. Another year, it got a, a committee hearing in the Senate, but it didn't get a full vote. And this year, the bill didn't even get a vote in committee. Right. Uh, so, you know, we're pretty disappointed about the fact that the state of Indiana will continue to be one of five states in which we have no bias crime legislation. I think everybody needs to be concerned about that. And the big hang-up of the legislation is gender identity and sexual orientation. Those mm. four words are what is holding up this legislation because certain individuals don't think that everybody in the state of Indiana should have protections. I think from um, the, if, if I may jump in here, you think from the outside looking in that what we went through as a state with REFRA um, and, and everything that the legislator and our citizens went through with that and our reputation and the threats of companies not wanting to come or pulling out planned events, you would think that this bias crime um, legislation would be a little easier to, is that, it, how do you see that? I agree. You would think that that would be the case, um, but again, this is Indiana, and <laughs> the, the, even the economic um, argument still fell on deaf ears, and that's really unfortunate. Um, it's just the fact that people think that it's okay for someone to be beat up or harmed, 
and just simply because of their race or their sexual orientation or their gender, at the end of the day, they're a human being. They are a human being, and to hate someone um, because of that is is just mind-boggling to me. Uh, but we tried, but that was a part of the conversation. Um, but the people who are opposed to that, they they are they're stuck in the trenches. And, um, you know, we're going to have to continue uh, to fight the good fight to try to get this legislation passed. Um, luckily, you know, the people in Bloomington have Matt Pierce, and Matt is a is, is, is represent the people in Bloomington quite well. Yeah, we, so, we, we think we'll, uh, keep, we think we'll keep him. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. We think we'll keep Representative Pierce. Um, yeah, I, I'm, keep him. Please keep him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also looking at a re, the redistricting issues, um, specifically its first reading of the commission. Um, I, my, my position, and I think many of us, and particularly people of color, we also know that the party in power tries to, that coupled with census data, um, try to couple the districting and, and um, that area so that it's more favorable to them. And I think we both know that both parties have been guilty of that in the past. So where are we on having a, a um, unbiased commission? Um, is that judges or legal or how do you foresee that? Um, you know, from my understanding, um, what um, what we're going to have, we have anything, is really not going to be an independent commission. I think there is some legislation that is moving through the process. It uh, has not hit, <clears throat> excuse me, the full floor of the House um, yet for me to, to put my eyes on the particular uh, piece of legislation. But from what I've been hearing is it is not going to be an independent commission, um, which is what we would need um, and what the preference would be. In an independent commission um, or commission, even if it's appointments from all, all, um, all caucuses, um, would come up with better maps that would not be gerrymandered and have, you know, my little township having three people represented when I could represent my township that I live in, which is about 65,000 people. But right now it's just butchered up and there's like three or four people that represent it. Um, you know, so I don't, I, I'm not hopeful that this particular, this year we're going to have anything significant. Do we have um, any hope for anything that's benefiting people of color in this state? <laughs> we have some things, um, you know, we have the Indiana Minority Health Coalition, All right. uh, which is the only thing, we are the only state in the country that has uh, Indiana Minority Health Coalition um, that was set up by legislature um, that focuses on minority health. So we, you know, we have that. Um, not too many more things. We do have um, the MBWB Commission, and quite honestly, I think that they could and should be doing a lot more. Um, I think they have not really lived up to their potential. So we have things. You know, I went to a, um, I went to see um, First Lady, former First Lady Michelle Obama, 
And she, her speech was so profound. The one thing that she said was, and I think this is where we as a community kind of get caught up at is, she said, if you're at the table, say something. <laughs> you don't, you know, and she's trying, she said, if you don't say anything, it's a wasted seat. And unfortunately, I think too often we have people and we get happy when we see someone that looks like us at the seat of authority and a position. Um, but if you're not doing anything to advance the community, you're not serving, uh, living up to your potential to be there. And I think even with the programs that we have, Sometimes we have these programs and people are so scared to say something or people are so scared to do something because they're scared that the one they may be taken off of, uh, taken away from the table or maybe kicked off the committee or the board or whatever, uh, or they just don't care. And that's really unfortunate. I think yeah. we have so many opportunities in our community um, to better the positions that our people are in. But oftentimes we don't speak up and we don't say anything. Yeah, some people are just content to be at the table. Um, Cherish, I said some people are just content to be at the table. But they're content to be at the table. They're content to brag about it and put it on their resume, a resume builder for their next move. Yeah. But you know, people respect you just as much if you speak up um, about issues. Actually, they'll respect you more if you speak up and speak on issues that you're passionate about versus you just sit in there holding a spot. And Don't that, get it um, like that. Th that deserves an amen. William, you got something else there? Cherish, I'm looking at a list of uh, several bills to watch, and uh, a few of them deal with uh, elections and voting, like same-day registration, uh, satellite voting, proof of identification. Is there any movement in the legislature on those issues, or what? what's the conversation like? No, I have not seen any of those bills moved. Uh, we definitely, um, my caucus and uh, IBLC definitely supports, um, you know, um, is making uh, voting and registering to vote as, assess as uh, accessible as possible. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that is not something that, um, I, you know, some of our colleagues are supportive of. Um, and so even though we try to put, continue to, to push those items and issues, um, they either don't get a hearing or in, actually they just don't get a hearing. And uh, even if we yeah. try to amend sometimes things in the bills, they end up dying. So I don't, I don't have much confidence in them moving anytime soon. The way that a lot of these bills, quite honestly, was going to move is that the composition of the legislature changed. If more Democrats or if Democrats were in control of the House and the Senate, we would see changes in same-day um, um, uh, voting we will see changes in making it easier to have satellite sites. In Marion County, um, you know, for years we've only had one place where we can do early voting. Yeah, right. And that is, you know, and that's downtown Indianapolis. you got to pay for parking. You know, it's, so it's, it, it, and we're the largest county, a significant number of African Americans. Um, but when you take a county like a Hamilton County, 
they have three or four places where people can go to vote. You know, so it's going to the composition of the state house has to change in order for a lot of these things um, to 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 change to make it easier for people um, to exercise their right to vote. Even just mailing in your ballots, um, as you know, make an absentee ballot, uh, no fault uh, way of voting. You know, it's it's even hard to get that done. So we have about one minute left. Uh, can you tell us uh, in the last minute what uh, are some of the more important things that, that are moving forward in the, in, in the legislature, things that are be, be coming up for a vote pretty soon, things that affect us directly? Okay, so I'm going to the there is a bill that's, uh, I, I call it legalized uh, loan shark, um, House Bill 1319. Um, that bill is um, is uh, going to allow people to you'll be able to to take out a loan, but the interest rates is like I think over two hundred percent, you know. So I just call it legalized loan shark, and that's House Bill thirteen nineteen. That's something that people need to be uh, aware of. Um, another bill that is going through um, is uh, asbestos legislation, House Bill ten sixty one. Um, that bill effectively makes it more difficult for people uh, who are affected by asbestos to receive money from trust funds that are sitting on $4 billion in the state of Indiana to receive uh, payments for that. So those a uh, couple of things that are going through. Uh, another bill is a drug dealing resulting in death um, where if you manufacture or uh, if you manufacture a drug controlled substance that ends in death, uh, that increases the um, the felony penalty for individuals if uh, if 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 uh, if that happens. And that's House Bill thirteen fifty nine. All right, Representative so, Representative Pryor, we're going to have to really work with you so we could get this scheduled so we can have time to talk. Um, and you may be aware of that down here in Bloomington, we have some other um, local issues that we're talking that took up a lot of time, but we have to get together well, real soon have, and schedule. You have, you have to take care of your local issues too. Well, you know that that's what we do. <laughs> but we want to thank you for being here, and um, um, we'll be in touch real soon and get that scheduled. Okay. All right. Y'all have a great day. You too. You too. And have Thanks a great for coming evening. on. Our thanks to the Honorable Cherish Pryor, Chairwoman of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus and proud representative of Indiana House District 94 for joining us this evening to discuss a variety of issues of importance to the citizens of Indiana. If you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff, or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you may have heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to thank Black Lives Matter organizer Vox Booker and Bloomington Police Chief Mike Decoff for coming on this evening to engage in a civil discourse on the merits and concerns regarding the purchase of the Bloomington Police Department's armored vehicle. Actually, it was a pretty nice discussion. Uh, I yeah. like that. Um, our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Director 
Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker for WFHB. I'm Jim Sims. I'm William Hosea. Tune in next Monday, February 26th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your favorite community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.